Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 13 years, I've been a professional intuitive and personal development blogger. I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Tuesday, January 15th, 2019, as I record this introduction. This week, I have a conversation with Kate Manser about managing death anxiety using a positive, contemplative approach to mortality as a way to make better decisions about living. Do you have disturbing thoughts about your own death or like horrific daydreams where you play out different scenarios? I think of it as the elephant in the room when we're talking about spirituality and our souls. We're probably all having these thoughts a lot more than we're talking about them. You Might Die Tomorrow is Kate's life's work dedicated to helping you live urgently, love openly, and enjoy your life by thinking about your death. It's about an inspiration to live today, and that's coming up in just a few minutes. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra channeled message. In personal news, I'm recording this introduction several days early because I'm going to Chicago for the first time. If you're listening to this episode the day it goes live in the podcast feed, then I'm already on my way home, probably in an airport or on a plane this very moment, so send me a thought of protection. I'm sure I'll tell you about my travels on an upcoming episode. Before I forget, I do want to say a quick thank you to Megan Kennedy, who raised her pledge to the mastery level. I want to say thank you to all of you who continue to pledge your support on Patreon. It demonstrates that you're enjoying this show and you want it to continue. It's very encouraging to me, so thank you. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, And there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show for you, and access all the extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. A lot of us are searching for our thing, our purpose. I asked Kate Manser, who's a self-described incredibly happy person, who she was before she came upon the message within You Might Die Tomorrow. Yeah, I was just like everybody else. I didn't really think about death very much. I mean, other than thinking that I was totally invincible all throughout high school and uh, (laughs) doing a lot of dangerous things. Uh, But at the time, like what precipitated my uh, shift from going from not thinking about death to um, embracing death, which is where I am today, was like a period of intense death anxiety. I don't know if you've ever been there, Slade, but like I was just consumed by death anxiety. At the time, I was in a marriage that was like very unhappy and I was just like in decision paralysis, agony and didn't know what to do. And then I had three people uh, die around my same age and unrelated tragedies in the span of six months. And so that just sent me into a tailspin of oh my God, I could die at any moment. I need to be scared all the time. Hmm. So tell me, what are some of the components of death anxiety? Like what are the thoughts and the the voices that you're hearing? What are they saying? 
Mm, it's like there, it was like that there was a, a movie in my head all the time, uh, of like a really gory, not fun, uh, movie happening where like, if I was driving through an intersection, for example, which you do, we do all the time, I would just like have this quick snap vision of, um, a Mack truck coming and taking me out as I went in, as I went through the intersection. Um, and then it would just continue. That movie would continue. And I would think, oh, um, you know, what would happen? The paramedics would come and then my family would have to be notified and all down this just like dark tunnel of mortality. And then the same thing would apply for other people in my life. I would imagine getting the call that my mom had died unexpectedly. Um, and I think the phone was like kind of a trigger for me because um, I had gotten a couple these unexpected calls when three of my friends died and uh, I had that negative, um, the negative association and so, yeah, I was just afraid of death all the time. It was just this mysterious, unknown thing that I couldn't control, but like put all of my energy into trying to. Okay, so it was much more visceral, violent, suspenseful, you know, like gory movie kind of stuff for you. It wasn't even, it wasn't even more that like existential stuff. It was actual kind of... Well, I, I've heard before that that's kind of a PTSD thing um, to, in the moment, just be struck with like flashes of anxious violence. Mm. And, and, you know, anything could cause you to have PTSD. You could have it around the trauma of those phone calls. You know what I'm saying? The, the ones that had happened in the past. And, um, you know, that was like some kind of lingering energy that was getting triggered. Oh yeah, and it was it was the gory moment of death for sure, but it was also my mind was very preoccupied with all of the things that would happen after mm -hmm. the death occurred because that's what's unknown. We don't know if we're going to be like the stoic if you know if, if we lose someone in our life that we really care about, are we going to be the stoic survivor? Or are we going to be like crumbled under the circumstances? Mm -hmm. And so I would have trouble sleeping at night because I would imagine the whole scenario of what would happen if my husband had died unexpectedly and calling his family and going to Brazil to, you know, have a funeral there and, and all of the things that would happen. Mm. And man, it just like, it got to the point that I had always been someone who was like pretty much a lover of life. But during this period, which lasted, um, about a year and a half, I, I was putting all my energy into death anxiety and it had completely clouded the beauty of life. Okay, so I have to tell you, there was this synchronicity involved with our meeting. The day before I was introduced to your site, a woman had posted in our Shift Your Spirits Facebook community asking if anyone else had obsessive thoughts about death. And she wow. was really quick to say that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't really negative, it wasn't violent, she wasn't contemplating suicide or anything like that. She was just kind of putting it out there that she thought really often about death and, you know, like um, but more from an existential place. That's why I was surprised that you were talking about these kind of, you know, violent scenarios of the actual death itself. She was talking kind of more from a place of like um, being really profoundly aware of like this clock ticking and, you know, like mm. having this limited amount of time on earth. And, and she just put it out there and said, you know, that, um, she was thinking about it in a contemplative way, 
Mm. And she found it odd that more people didn't talk about it, right? And like it's this elephant in the room, especially in a community like ours where we're talking about spirits and communication from those who've passed and, you know, that kind of stuff. And she was asking if anyone, you know, wanted to chime in and say, you know, that how they felt about it. And it was weird because it was one of those posts where a lot of people were liking it or responding to it without commenting. And so I said, you know, yeah, I really do think those thoughts actually. And I wasn't sure what to say though, in support of that other than, you know, Hey, I feel you. Um, And then the very next day there you were with your message. And I thought, okay, this is obviously a conversation that I need to have um, for everyone who was probably seeing that post and thinking, I don't even know what to do with this. So help me reframe this, you know, in a positive light. How did you get to a place where you could embrace your death? So believe it or not, it was another tragic and unexpected death of someone around my same age. So it was like the fourth, a a year and a half had passed since that six months where I had three in a row. Um, And I I believe it was, yeah, about a year and a half uh, went by. And then a friend and coworker of mine at Google, Dan Friedenberg, was climbing Mount Everest. And um, he died in the Nepal earthquake when he was in an avalanche when he was up at base camp and man, I was so angry initially when I heard that he died because he was a really vibrant, adventurous, like goofy, very intelligent person and what very well liked among Google and his friends. And he dated a celebrity and what my first reaction was, was just anger that he had taken part in an elective like sport really and and took his life in his own hands and then ultimately you know it was his choice to climb Mount Everest that ultimately took him out of this world away from all of us and so I was so mad at him at first Um, but then as I thought more about it I realized that climbing Mount Everest is something that you don't just like do on a random Saturday it's something that requires a ton of mindful energy. It's very expensive. You have to train really hard for it. And it's a choice that you make um, over a long period of time. And I realized that he was a, a very smart and vibrant person and he had put a lot of thought into climbing Everest. And he accepted the risk that came with that because as I looked back on his decision, I was came upon this realization that he had to climb Mount Everest in order to truly live. That if he had stayed on the ground, he would have also died in a way as well because he would have been living outside of his system of values and not living his authentic life. And that was when I suddenly saw death in a new perspective, which was that I have no control over when I die. Um, Dan had no control over when he died and he decided to um, live vibrantly and take calculated risk. Like I could die climbing Everest if I ever did that, which I probably wouldn't. I could die in that intersection that I was so afraid of going through all the time. Or like I'm a very clumsy person. I could probably die climbing the stairs and I'm putting so much of my energy into my precious energy into worrying about death when I could be putting that energy into living while I'm still alive. And that, that was really the main turning point for me was just like, Hey, I could, I could die tomorrow. And whereas when I was with 
the de- death anxiety, that was the most terrifying thought. Suddenly, a light had been shown on it. And I was like, oh, I could die tomorrow. And that's the most freeing concept I've ever experienced. So that's interesting. The The fact that we could make that a freeing concept. So how do you recommend, as we're listening, we're all probably now really feeling the anxiety about it. So how do we manage that? Yeah, I've, I'm actually doing some research right now for this, for the last chapter that I'm working on in my book about how like psychologically we manage our fear of death. Uh, I believe that fear of death is, um, and many, many scientists and psychological psychologists believe that fear of death is like the one universal fear that all humans share. Like we're not all afraid of snakes, uh, but we're all afraid of death. And the research shows that the best way to manage our fear of death, um, is, is two things. Number one, to live life in accordance with our values, which then bolsters our self-esteem. And number two, to really invite mortality awareness into your consciousness as opposed to keeping it on the fringes. Because uh, I'd be very curious to talk to the woman who posted in your Facebook group, like what her contemplation has been and the arc of that. Because um, I know I can say for myself that the more that I invite death into my life and the more I, I think about it and meditate on it, the better I feel and the more vibrant I live while I'm still alive. So how do you think we can use this sense of our mortality to empower us, you know, to help us make decisions about what we're doing in our lives? Man, in death, everything seems to just fall away and become clear. Like death is this there's something about it, something about the finality of it that we have so much going on in our lives that when we look at it from the perspective of death or the end of our life, we realize how little of it really matters to us. And that's what I found is the best way to help me make decisions in life is I actually do this thing that I call the deathbed gut check, which is that when I'm faced with a decision that I'm having trouble making, I don't know what to do. I get decision paralysis with the best of them and I'm frozen and, you know, trying to figure out what the heck I want to do with my life. I do the deathbed gut check, which is, uh, I will close my eyes and imagine myself on my deathbed and I am on my deathbed and I'm looking at the present moment or the tough decision that I'm trying to make. I'm looking back at it from the perspective of being about to die and I am given a sense of clarity and I imagine myself thinking like, okay, I'm on my deathbed. How do I feel having done option A? And then I observe the visceral reaction in my body. Like, do I feel a lightness of being or do I feel a pit in the bottom of my stomach? And I do the same thing for for option B. And because it's so loud in our lives with with all of this stuff that swirls around and it's difficult to focus on get that perspective on what matters i use that sense of mortality to to get perspective and help me make decisions in life and that 5 second deathbed gut check has helped me make some really really important decisions and also really simple ones and it's something that death is accessible to all of us and it's a tool that is radically underused. I have to share with you that um, several months ago, I was working with a healer around some 
creativity blocks. And I was um, really struggling with a, with a book that I was working on. And a part of my struggle was that I had another book that I really wanted to be writing instead. And I had this mm. huge, like, sense of guilt about, like, you know, abandoning one to work on the other and abandoning all that work and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I was just angsting about it as authors do, <laughs> and you know, just <laughs> yes. ridiculously blown up into this existential crisis. And, um, the woman I was sharing all this with came back to me with just the really simple question. If you had only enough time to live and produce one of these books, which one is it? Wow. And, it was instantly. It was. You know what I mean? Like the answer was like, oh. Lightning, lightning bolt. <laughs> yeah. It was like so, I mean, like just flash through your body. The, like all the thinking and worrying and pros and con mm-hmm. lists just fell away. Yes. Yeah. So I I'm, I will now call it the deathbed gut check. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a great way to think about it. Well, so you also have something called the deathbed meditation. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. The deathbed meditation actually came from the deathbed gut check because I had observed these positive effects of imagining myself on my deathbed and helping me make decisions in life that I was, I became curious about like the deeper effects of meditating on mortality. And so I started Googling around and I learned a lot about how pervasive like death awareness is, particularly in the Buddhist religion. And, um, but I couldn't find like an actual meditation of like similar to what that deathbed gut check is, which is like from the perspective of our deathbed, looking back over our lives. And so I wrote one and it's been, I've been facilitating it now for I think two and a half years. And it's of course morphed over, over that time, but it's essentially a guided meditation that's anywhere between 20 and 30 minutes that's appropriate for novice and experienced meditators alike, in which I safely guide you to imagine yourself on your deathbed, wherever that is for you. And it's different for everybody. It could be, you know, your grandparents' house. It could be a shack on the beach. Uh, it could be one guy actually for him his like safe place where his where his deathbed was where he imagined it in this meditation was a place that he had been on in a psychedelic trip and he said i th- i never thought i'd be able to get back there and um the meditation took me there and so from the perspective of your deathbed wherever that is you we go through and we look over your life you like you growing up we look at um the decisions that you made and the time that you had what you did do what you didn't do and we observe again those visceral feelings that that come out um but again it's without judgment because at the end of your life there's nothing you can do But then at the end of the meditation, we close with a call to act because unlike on your deathbed, at the end of this meditation, you do have more time. And with that, uh, we've seen some really beautiful personal transformations occur. What kind of feedback do you get from the people who are doing this meditation? What What are their takeaways? Oh, so many amazing things. And I have to tell you, when I first started doing, even when I first started with the whole concept of you might die tomorrow and uh, the deathbed meditation, I it had radically shifted my life for the better. I'm telling you, like, 
I, I made changes in my life. I quit my job. I went traveling for a couple of years. Like those things are awesome. But it was really like the daily impact that mortality awareness had in my life that like just made me want to share it with the world. But there were instances where I was like, oh, this is talking about death. Um, you know, there are some people or some instances who, uh, in which people may not like accept it with open arms and, and it will be hard. And the two instances that I thought were number one, people who are actually dying, like people with terminal illness or the elderly or, uh, people who, uh, you know, deal with death every day in their lives, like doctors, for example, I was like, Oh, I don't want to talk about you might die tomorrow with them because, you know, it, it it's so real for them. And I think it's inappropriate. It turns out over time that those people, particularly those with terminal illness are like the OG fans of you might die tomorrow. And what I realized is like, unlike the rest of us, they can't push death under the rug. Mm. Uh, and so from there, I, I gained a new sense of confidence in my message for everyone. And then regarding the deathbed meditation, just recently, I, um, when I was doing workshops and things, I wasn't always including it. Uh, but when I got the call from Facebook a couple of months ago and they wanted me to perform and or facilitate the deathbed meditation at their corporate office here in Austin, that was when I knew that this is a message that I should not be afraid of. This is a message that people want to hear. And some of the transformations I've seen are, are people who... Um, like my uh, one one woman is a scientist and she was working um, testing soils for for the uh, the government. She left her job and is now pursuing her dream to become a nutritionist. Uh, there's a lot of people who packed up their things and are now traveling in various parts of the world as a result of the meditation. Uh, but really, what I hope is that these big changes are fantastic and living life in accordance with what's meaningful you, to you is fantastic, but it's the little ways that death can positively impact your life, uh, which is what I hope people take away from the deathbed meditation, just loving more vibrantly, living more urgently and making it a priority to enjoy our time while we're still here. So, this may be a little bit obvious question. It may just be a continuation of what you're just saying, but what do you hope that you can contribute to our collective understanding to the greater conversation about spirituality and, you know, our experience being human? What do you hope your legacy is? Mm, my legacy. I hope that, mm, I hope that people can embrace their death that that is my message, uh, but really at the end of the day, um, I found that you might die tomorrow, and thinking about my death is a means to an end, right? Like thinking about my death has positively impacted my life. But what I want people to take away at the end of the day is to live in accordance with your values. And I have no idea why we're really here. We're like, what is that saying? We're meat sacks, uh, you know, gravitationally stuck to a rock spinning in uh, a, a galaxy greater than our comprehension. Uh, we don't know why we're here. And so to prioritize enjoyment in life, um, I think that's what I would, would really want people to take away is just have fun, just enjoy yourselves. And you have no idea just enjoying your life, how far that ripple effect will will go to that which you don't even understand it occurs to me that i should probably ask you what are your feelings about 
the concepts of life after death, of the spirit surviving this lifetime. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious what your personal feeling is about all that. Mm, well, <laughs> I am actually weirdly a fan of conspiracy theories, and I definitely don't think that the afterlife and, and spirituality is a conspiracy theory, but I say that because one of the things that I'm grateful for in my life is that I believe anything is possible until it's proven otherwise, and I really like the idea of uh, you know our consciousness living on and, and spirituality, um, so I believe in uh, the possibility of the afterlife. I absolutely believe in spirituality. And if you look into the experiences of people who have actually had near-death experiences, one of the um, one of the key things, the key aspects that many of these experiences share is an understanding of the oneness of humanity and shared consciousness and the idea that our lives do go on. And um, and again, I think death is the greatest teacher. And so if that's what they see and it brings me comfort, man, you know, I'd absolutely believe in it. What was your experience with mortality awareness? Um, you know, I think mine is more... Um, of the existential stuff and part of what I contemplate a lot because I am surrounded by a community of people. Here's the weird thing. My brand is all about bringing spirituality down to earth, you know, like mm -hmm, fewer mm -hmm. hearts and flowers is my yeah, <laughs> um, tagline. <laughs> so the Anthony Barton. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what that really means is like, it's not, it doesn't do anything for me if I can't apply it to my actual life. If, you know, spirituality and personal development go hand in hand for me in that all of this great new age vocabulary and tools and concepts only really like where's the rubber hit the road kind of thing. And so I'm always looking for that for myself. And then that's sort of what I share and put out into the world. Like, okay, well, it's great that you can talk to your spirit guides. What can we do with that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I still attract an audience that is much more woo woo than I am. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I look at the, the conversations going on in, in my own Facebook community. And I'm like, man, these people are out there. And I love <laughs> it. I love it because I don't, I don't have a, I'm not there to debunk anything. Um, mm -hmm. And like you said, you know, if there's something that I don't really, um, if I can't disprove it, you know, uh, my favorite quote is actually um, from Marilyn Monroe. Uh, mm. She was being interviewed by someone for a newspaper article and she made an offhand remark about somebody's astrological sign and um, the reporter said do you believe in that and she with this like totally like duh kind of look on her face was like I believe in everything a little bit mm, and so wow, I kind of have beautiful. that feeling like I believe in everything a little bit and um, so one of the things that I notice in my own deathbed meditative contempl contemplations is, you know, I have a lot of friends who are mediums, you know, who spend like their, their entire jobs and careers and purpose revolves around the concept of speaking to people who have passed away, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm not a medium. Um, you know, all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. And yeah. <laughs> I don't specifically have that experience. Um, so I, I have a big like, 
huh, okay, that's interesting. Um, so what I find my contemplations being is, you know, I'm led down all these like super phenomenal paranormal conversations with people all the time. I'm inundated with the concept that, um, you know, oh, oh, we're just going to, you know, our souls are infinite and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I can visit people here and talk to them after I'm gone. And then I'll have these moments where I like, am like, wait a minute, that's what everybody else thinks. And I'll reel it all the way back in and and think, what do I really think about that? Mm-hmm. And um, I have this concept that I've only spoken with a few people. I actually did. Remember when I said sometimes my conversations with new people are more interesting than any other? Yeah. Um, I spoke with this woman named Heather Alice Shea once on the show, and um, we were set up through a mutual friend. You guys should do an episode. And she and I talked for 50 minutes before we wow. started the interview. And it was all around an offhand con- uh, comment that I had made about the fact that sometimes I think about being an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I test out my beliefs in in terms of like, can I still be psychic and be an atheist? Can I still explain some of this phenomenon without having to believe in like a higher power and like a mm. bearded man in the sky kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And so I have this whole concept of like spiritual atheism that I play with. And um, she and I just went down this rabbit hole about that, right? And again, it's it's not about debunking anything or disproving anything, but is there this place that you can be comfortable in where you don't know? You know, mm-hmm. like where ambiguity. You, yeah. Are you okay with the thought that, you know, this could happen or something else could happen? I could be totally surprised. It could all be over and I won't even know, you know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so those are the kinds of things that I think about. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I mean, that really just hits on like what, what helped me is like getting comfortable with that ambiguity and mindfully channeling my energy elsewhere. It's like, oh, I don't have control over when, where, how I die, but I have a hundred percent control over how I live until that time comes. Yes. And so, uh, and I love that spiritual atheism. I met, uh, a guy who now has a, uh, retreat in Thailand. Um, and he, man, he's very passionate about this concept of spiritual atheism. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I should connect you guys. Yeah. Who Um, is it? He's, um, his name is Pierre. He is American, but he studied Zen Buddhism for many years in Japan and now has a retreat in, uh, in Thailand. Hmm. And he is just very outspoken about this idea that you can separate them. Um, that you can separate that the woo woo from from the spirituality, um, and that you can make it, um, you know, whatever you want, and, and very specifically about that about the spiritual atheism. I have this fantasy, like you know, you have your um, like play out the like, ooh, what if this happened kind of thing, um, and, and and this was the the comment that I made that Heather picked up on. I I did an episode once about how I fantasize about just one day like becoming a born again atheist and wow. announcing to everyone, you know, like I've worked my way through the list and I found a way that I can philosophically justify all of this for myself. Mm-hmm. Who would who would be okay with that? Who would stick around? Because I don't. I actually think that we can have all of this stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of biological explanations that will 
exist in the future understanding um you know i i believe that a lot of the things that we experience as psychic phenomenon um is is literally just a part of you know our biology and the miracle of our brains you know and and it doesn't mean that it's not happening it just means that um that we're just equipped to do it in mortal form you know what i mean like wow um and you know i think that there's a lot of uh, science that could explain the you know some of the phenomenon that we experience um you know and i don't like that's not a psychic prediction necessarily it's just this this thing that i contemplate a lot which is can we have all of this and is it okay if you choose to populate your spirituality with supernatural concepts because Mm -hmm. i kind of think at the end of the day people who have faith um even if it's a different faith system from mine i have found are more open in general um they're more compassionate they're more likely to believe other people's beliefs they're more likely to leave people alone to believe whatever they want to be um they they are less likely to need to convert everyone to their way of thinking and that there is this kind of like you see it in old elderly people in particular mm-hmm. who um, really talk in, in purely kind of fundamentalist Christian vocabulary, but their philosophy and their vibe and their true wisdom <laughs> is super open minded and oh extremely gosh. liberal. You know what I mean? So um, I kind of feel like there is a place, there is a happy spot. And I think maybe it's what you are. It's what your message is about, that there's a place where we can exist in uncertainty mm-hmm. and because of the uncertainty, be motivated to make it all amazing now, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, because what good is it again? If it's not useful to us right now, what good is it if I'm going to, you know, be able to contact my loved ones after I'm dead? Um, that's great. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> But, you know, what kind of impact can that have on people's experiences here and now in the moment? Can we do something practical with that? Um, can can we be okay with the concept that what some people talk about as spiritual entities to a more clinical, intellectual mindset, we could talk about the archetypes as kind of, you know, psychological programming that, you know, all our brains kind of carry like apps on our phone or whatever. (laughs) So I like to contemplate the place where like all those things end up in a big chaotic mash. And I think at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a choice. And as long as the choice is life and happiness and I mean, it, get off my ass and do something, then I'm cool with whatever you want to bring, you know? Yeah. Wow. You had a very insightful observation there about like uh, people who have a sense of spirituality being more open and accepting. And there's actually scientific or psychological basis for this. I'm The research that I'm doing now is basically like it, it really all comes down to security. And if you have a sense of security, which religion very often – uh, provides you have the space to be more open um, because mm-hmm. you don't feel threatened, and um, 
And so whatever that, you know, whether it is like Christian fundamentalism or, or whatever, um, the belief in that everything is going to be okay, that you're part of a, you're part of a group and, and things are stable, um, that then like bolster self-esteem. Uh, but one of the things I argue in my book is that, um, spirituality is amazing. And I, and I absolutely believe that people should do whatever makes them feel good. I think you can also create like your own personal religion of like what is meaningful to you. So, you know, whether, whether, whatever you're practicing religion is, you can kind of create your own personal religion of like, okay, these are the things that are important to me and I'm going to actually live in accordance with those. And then that therefore provides that security that allows people to be, to be open. And man, that was a beautiful observation. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about this today. Tell everyone where they can go to find you online and to explore this more. Yeah, come hang out with me. Uh, my website is youmightdietomorrow.com. Pretty easy to remember. And I am finishing up my book now. It's hopefully going to be coming out this summer. And if you're interested in joining our community on Facebook or uh, inquiring about the experience of the deathbed meditation. I do those in person and online and groups and corporate workshops. And um, I just love to hear about what your experience is and what thinking about your death has uh, done and impacted your life. That's wonderful, Kate. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Slade. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Ditcher, or whatever app you prefer. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message and answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. The potential is there until it's been proven otherwise. I'll talk to you later.